Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a pleasure this morning to have Tom Neufeld with us. Tom is a farmer from Vineland, Ontario. Uh, he and Marianne married in 81, and they have three adult children. He's a survivor. Barely. Barely. He worked for 31 years as a tool and dye maker with TRW in St. Catharines while building his farm in the Camden area. When he retired in 2009, you don't look that old, after he retired, he went back to Brock University and did a degree in political science. He's an interesting man. Presently, he and his wife run 400 acres of cash crop, grain, cattle, and market garden vegetables. If you're down at the, the St. Catharines Market on a Saturday morning, you just might see him not wearing a tie uh, as he sells some of his goods down at the market. His wife, Marianne, is a school teacher in Vineland. For the past year, Tom has been working with MCC, and he's here today to encourage us and to challenge us, to tell us about what God is doing through us and through MCC throughout the world. And we're so, we're so happy to have you here today. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Well, hello, everyone. It's, it's good to be here. I have uh, actually quite a few memories of connecting with this community of faith from many years in the past. Um, there was a time when I went to Eden Christian College long, long ago for three years. And um, I made some good friends in this congregation and I remember very clearly, for instance, being here for the funeral of Carl Hildebrandt um, probably 45 years ago, uh, or in that range. And he was a very good friend of mine, and I know that uh, his family is from this community. So I have had uh, good reasons to overlap with you over the years, and it's good to be here again this morning. This morning I want to visit with you um, and think about how something that is very old can be new again. And just think about that as I'm rambling here this morning. We live in a time of rapid change. The church in a postmodern world can no longer be comfortably embraced by our Western culture. What was once understood as an institution of moral authority, the church now faces a decline in its influence. This change is alarming to many, but there are many reasons for it. Many people no longer trust the Christian church. The criticism is that it is no longer credible. Many church denominations have had charges of sexual exploitation against their leaders and church members that have violated the lives of people in their congregations. In the United States, televangelists have built empires that are vastly wealthy and are seen as manipulating the innocent with appeals for donations. The residential school system for indigenous people that was run by various church denominations in Canada has left a legacy of abuse. Imagine this, the church being the blunt instrument of abuse against children. In short, the church appears to lack integrity for many of our contemporaries. There is another problem that adds to this perception of irresponsible care. We also live in a time where we have exited a world that was once characterized by a human ethic. A human ethic is a principle that positions the care of humanity above all else. After the Second World War, a weary world concentrated on reviving a shattered humanity, devastated by armed conflict. 
The term human rights emerged, and with great significance, this, these uh, principles were followed uh, following the atrocities of World War II. There was a genuine desire to pursue the, pursue the good of humanity after the barbarism that was exposed following the calamity of war. Human rights agenda fueled discourse in Western governments, and they utilized various configurations of democratic reforms to ensure that people had a voice in rebuilding their broken lands. This momentum was carried on for some decades. And some of you came out of those ruins of Europe and found refuge here in Canada and South America. The refugee experience and immigration that are present today are the same as it ever has been, possibly even more. But our world today is much less dominated by a human ethic of love and concern for the other. There has been a shift to a new order that has been legitimized over the last 40 years or so. Since the years of Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher, the Western world has moved, into, has moved to incorporate another principle, the business ethic. Unbridled capitalism has produced a culture of winners and losers that punishes the underprivileged and rewards the uber-wealthy. Honest concern for the poor and disadvantaged has not been seen as cost-effective. Globalism and the reverence for the market are the guiding principles in our world. Patterns of economic aid for developing nations are led by the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. These institutions have been criticized by many non-government organizations, including Mennonite Central Committee, who have pointed out that privatization, deregulation, and the demand for downscaling government oversight have led to poor living conditions for people. It translates into, excuse me, it translates into a decline in the living standards for many of the masses. In effect, these policies benefit the wealthy over the poor. With these, these themes before us, the question is for the church. Do we call for justice in a world of selfish expression and abuse of power? Are we doing that? Are we relevant in our witness to the model of Christ? Or have the machinations of our common culture and wealth crept into the expression of the Christian church in general? Many would argue this has been happening for years. The corporate model of top-down management has infiltrated the church. The success of churches is now measured with mechanisms of growth and the lure of increasing membership roles. The gospel is marketed like a commodity, almost a product to sell, and churches aggressively move within their communities competing for attendance. Programs are assembled to cater to the need of members, not for the poor and the persecuted. Churches have mobilized great resources to create programs designed to make members feel, or to, designed to make members fit in and feel secure in their congregations. The big box church can resemble corporate enterprises that have left them vulnerable in expressing their servant witness. Some will contend that there is merit in this new approach. The contemporary church needs to change its assemblance in order to connect with the realities of our society. The old system of church expression is dated and ineffective, they will say. One can't expect a 20th century standard to be attractive to spiritual seekers today. 
But is this even the debate that serious Christians should engage in? What does the Lord require of you? There is a wonderful piece of scripture which many of you I'm sure are quite familiar with from the Lesser Prophets where Micah says in chapter 6 of his writings, verse 8, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Servanthood living would be a descriptor that would fit into this appeal from Micah. It is something Jesus hoped the transformed believer could adopt. The concept of living differently than the common culture, pursuing justice and humble expression, is a reminder that our lives should do the talking rather than our programs. When I was in Calcutta some years ago with my wife on a Canadian Food Grains Bank food study tour, we had the privilege of meeting Mother Teresa at her compound. Al Dorkson, who was the then director of, of Canadian Food Grains Bank, had once been an MCC country rep in India, and he had brokered many a cooperative initiative with her Sisters of Charity. He arranged for us to visit her. She was an ancient soul already, but moved in the room with great energy and focus. She really surprised me. She outlined, how she outlined how Christian service should be the hallmark of a life of discipleship. I still remember her words so clearly. Spread the gospel and use words only if necessary. This souvenir message has been with me for a long time. And there was yet another memory from that trip that emphasized servanthood as a marker of the transformed life. One of the devotional moments we had on the trip concentrated on Matthew 14 and the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. This was appropriate because we were connecting with MCC's work in rural India and the food security projects that were allied with Canadian Food Grains Bank funding. There were two elements to the story, this familiar story, that challenged my thinking, and it still does. The feeding of the 5,000 is a story of food scarcity that we all remember from Scripture. It is recorded in every gospel. Only the Gospel of John tells of a boy donating the five loaves and two fishes, but everyone mentioned this small volume of food. This is the defined problem. 5,000 people who need food, and there's only five loaves and two fishes. The disciples had apparently talked about the problem before speaking to Christ and had already come up with a solution. Send everybody away. <laughs> Make the problem disappear. Avoidance. Avoidance of the issue. Christ's response to this solution was one of frustration, it seems. You give them something to eat. He's pointing at them. He's pointing at us. You give them something to eat. How often do we look for a way out of responsibilities that are right in front of us? We hear that what we want to hear, and we evasively look to get out of the situations that require creative solutions. We'd rather look the other way than make a choice to make a difference in a condition that requires a just resolution. Jesus hopes we will choose an active option and dream up a life-giving response to a condition of need. The other piece of this story that I think is exceptional is the way that people are fed that day. As a child, I remember this story so well, and I think it's because the hero is a boy who comes forward with his lunch, as we're told in the John account. 
My perception as a child was that Jesus did a presto changeo miracle and multiplied the lunch so that everyone could eat. And then there was this leftover of 12 baskets of food. So it's a pretty amazing story. And understand me this morning, I do not mean to take away from the possibility of the miraculous that Christ can do. I think that that's very possible and could very well be what has happened. And I want you to think about that, that what can Christ do for us, for us to understand the need and to change the way that we live. Think about that as I'm rambling here. Think of the volume of the people we're talking about, too, and... and, uh, Uh, The young lady here made that comment to the kids this morning, try and imagine the scope of the numbers. And I've been trying to get a physical estimation of that uh, myself recently. If any of you have gone to an Ice Dogs game, you'll know that a capacity crowd there is about 5,300 people. That's that's a lot of people. And imagine trying to feed that group with a handful of resources. You would need a miracle of food exponiation. And Jesus makes it happen, but here's what I want you to think about. How does he make it happen? We know that the miraculous is not something that is out of the picture for our gracious God. But think about another way that this unbelievable event could have happened. When the child came forward with his lunch, maybe the crowds were also persuaded to share as well. Perhaps Jesus had some suggestions for them to follow before he broke those loaves of bread and prayed with them. Perhaps they too had food resources with them, and the boy had inspired everyone to distribute their food as well. Does this version seem any less miraculous? I personally like this assumption better. Al Dorkson let us through this story as an agent of food security in India to consider our own responsibility as people with financial and technical means. We have a Christian obligation in the affluent Western world to share the resources and skills that we have with the third world and with those around us. We just need to be inspired. We just need to be persuaded. Furthermore, Al challenged us to participate in problem-solving as responsible Christians should when there is a cry for justice in the land. Today I am here as a spark plug for Mennonite Central Committee. There would be very few of you here today that have not had some interaction with this organization. I probably would not even be here today if it were not for MCC. My father's family were rescued from starvation during and shortly after the Soviet Revolution in the years of 1920-1923 when MCC was first assembled and had its first gesture of, of development and aid in South Russia. My father's earliest memories were that of hunger, famine, and death in his village of Paulsheim. We actually have a written record of his grandfather writing down the excitement that Mennonites in America had sent food to save their lives. I'm just going to read a couple little excerpts of that because I think it's pertinent for us to hear the voice of a first-hand account, the excitement of Mennonite Central Committee bringing rescue. Papa, this is my grandfather, Johann Rempel and Cornelius Duick drove to Melitopol today to see if they could buy or trade something for food, hopefully some bread. In Hauptstadt, we heard of the American relief at noon 
they came home with no bread. This is from March 12, 1922. We formally heard of the American relief. We had our first feeding in Thiessen's assembly hall for the hungry of our village, one meal a day. Thanks be to God. April 1st, he says, there were church services at Thiessen's hall. How thankful we are to be alive. Thanks be to God and America for the food. We also celebrate Good Friday in remembrance of Christ's death for us. One full year later, there's still interaction happening with Mennonite Central Committee. This is from February 20th in 1923. The American Relief distributes some warm clothing to the villages of Palsheim. It is very cold. Thank God for these gifts and for the people who sent them. The 18th of March. And this is the Sunday Thanksgiving Festival. A Dankfest was held for the food and clothing and for the 50 tractors that we received that saved our lives a year ago. It was on the 18th of February in 1922 that the Americans started with the relief effort. Services were held in all the Mennonite villages this Sunday. So it's interesting to reflect upon our own people, my own family, and the impact this had on their lives. Think of those early Goshen College students that dreamed up Mennonite Central Committee, the charter in the name of Christ. Three young men, Arthur Slagle, Ori Miller, and Clayton Krotz, worked specifically on the effort with the American Committee for Relief in the Near East, as it was initially called. Slagle remarried in Istanbul to organize material aid. Miller and Krotz traveled as far as, as Malachna, but were forced to depart with the retreating White Army as the Communist Red Army took over. Miller continued to exit with the White Army, while Krotz stayed to, um, decided to stay. Krotz, who was 24 at the time, think about it, 24-year-old man, engaged to be married back home in Pennsylvania, was arrested by the Bolshevik regime and never heard of again. MCC became an organization that would deliver not only food aid, but tractors to help in agricultural development in that crisis in the Civil War of Russia. These were visionaries that employed the imperative of servanthood living. Their ideas became Mennonite Central Committee, and we will celebrate 100 years of its service in the coming year, something for us all to celebrate and think about. So where does the Canadian Food Grains Bank fit into this equation in its work in the name of Christ? Well, in 1974, there were four Mennonites in southern Manitoba that had a dream. John Wheeler was a former MCC Canada director. Les Siemens was an MCC board member. Dave Dirksen was an agronomist and friend of Wheeler's. And finally, Art DeFair was a businessman who had been a former MCC functionary in Bangladesh. This group was keenly aware of geopolitical conditions around the globe and the need for, the, for development work in areas of crisis. The group noted that non-government organizations often took up to two years before they would connect with impoverished countries. Food relief should be more immediate when the masses are starving, they decided. So they remembered the story in the Old Testament, Joseph's story of stockpiling resources for moments of crisis in the future from Genesis 41. And I think we all know this story of Joseph interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh. Stockpiling of grain resources for a future catastrophe, just like in ancient Egypt, seemed like a sensible proposal. They knew that Canada's prairies had an abundance of grain and that Mennonite farmers would be willing to contribute. 
So they went to Ottawa to pitch the idea to the Canadian International Development Agency, as it was then called. Today it's called Foreign Affairs. They had an insider there to ad advocate for the project, a Tony Entz, who was also a former MCC worker. He convinced government officials that this was doable and that the farmers would respond. The federal government agreed to the proposal and decided to match donations at the time three to one. The MCC Food Bank was born. By 1983, four more denominations joined the efforts and it is rechristened the Canadian Food Grains Bank. Today there are 15 partner denominations contributing to the collective and it has been active in more than 70 different countries. Think of the people who dreamed up these expressions of Mennonite Central Committee and the Canadian Food Grains Bank. To serve Christ with integrity in ways to, that help the poor and the vulnerable, this is discipleship. I recall learning this concept under the German descriptor, Nachfolgen, to follow after. I'm sure many of you would have heard this in your past as well. We are encouraged to make a difference both locally and abroad by following Christ, living a transformed life that brings change and hope to a world of injustice. Today I want to talk a little bit how we can be inspired and invited to participate in these organizations in a local initiative right here in Niagara. Maybe I'm a bit like a boy with five loaves and two fishes. Like the masses of people that Jesus encountered long ago, we need to be motivated to join in making a difference in a world of hurt. The Grow Hope Grain Growing Project in Camden area has a long history, and it is one that I initiated in the early 90s. This happened right after we had returned from our food study tour in uh, South Asia. Our church already had a grain growing project that we were directing, but I felt inspired to do more. I knew the maintenance uh, supervisor at Bethesda, uh, Chris Lepp, and we decided to create a larger growing project for MCC on this land. Bethesda donated the use of land, I think it's 42 acres, and um, we ran it as a collection of area Mennonite farmers for some years. Recently, Larry Dick has been the farmer who has managed it, and it is now called a Grow Hope Project, which means it relies on individual donations to thrive as a vehicle of, of an MCC project. One of my responsibilities as an MCC employee is to promote this model to our constituency as the best way to generate funding for development projects abroad. The matching dollars from government increase the value of your donation as high as four to one. Now this depends on the project. For example, direct food aid, crisis, uh, aid to crisis situations is matched four to one, while agricultural development and con conservation agriculture projects typically receive three to one. The important thing to remember is that a donation to Canadian Food Grains Bank through the MCC account will deliver the biggest kick for your donation dollar. So on September 15th, there will be a celebration of this field in Camden. We will meet at the Dick Farm at 4350 Moyer Road at 4 p.m. to tour the field and to see what has grown there. There will also be a time for nibbles and reporting on the work that MCC is doing. I invite you all to consider coming. This will be a time to celebrate and hear what God is doing through the efforts of farmers here and farmers abroad. This year, it is buckwheat that was planted, a very uncommon crop in Niagara. Like the farmers around the world that encounter weather irregularities, we too had a close shave this spring with Mother, Mother Nature. The wettest spring in 30 years meant that the corn crop that was to be planted could not be planted due to the wet conditions. 
Buckwheat was the only option, and this was already on July 4th when the crop was planted. It will be curious to hear the story of how conservation agriculture is part of the expression here on uh, the farm in, Vine, or in Varm and Camden as well. MCC projects abroad are actively promoting conservation agricultural in initiatives and challenging the lives of farmers in developing countries around the world. This is an exciting prog progress, and your connection to the field in Camden can make this happen. There is a short video I would like to show at this time that describes how foundational this re work really is. So please take a moment to view this, and I will close after. what you can see here now this is actually a CA farm where I have applied all the practices the, the biggest challenge we have here in our area is actually food if you don't have enough food, you will not be able to take your child to school. Why? Because uh, the money that, the little money that you get, you will buy food. So food security secures the children and education and any other progress. I have also realized as a person, an angry person will not even listen to the word of God. Even if you preach and tell them God is good, when he is angry, he cannot receive that message. The old method used to use, we could not get good harvest. I used even to buy food. Because you get very little, you eat, it's finished, you even go to the shop and buy. But since I began using the same method, I have enough food, I even feed my chicken, and, and in my store, I still have beans, I still have maize for the last season. Thank you, David, for that. I hope you caught that one line that the uh, minister said there about, unless there is food in the hands of the hungry, they will not have the option of hearing a spiritual truth. So in January, February of this year, I'll be tra traveling to Ethiopia to see very similar um, um, projects which MCC and the Food Grains Bank are working on there, and I would be happy to speak to you about that at another time. 
The persuasion to share our skills and resources always seems to hurt at first, doesn't it? Because it seems to cost us something, we think. Maybe it's just our precious time, but after we participate in life-giving ministry, we can all sense the fulfillment of being part of the life-giving grace that Jesus hopes we will all embrace. I would like to finish with another Old Testament prophetic reminder from Isaiah 58.10 that speaks to the work of Canadian Food Grains Bank and Mennonite Central Committee. It prompts us to think again about the value of servanthood leadership. And it's on the little fridge magnets which I have in the back which you're free to pick up uh, as the service ends here. And I hope that it can be a reminder for you to connect with the Camden Project this year in some way. This is what it says. If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. Let's pray. Gracious God, give us the capacity to transform our lives into servanthood leaders. In Jesus' name. listening. For any questions about the message or to contact any of our pastors, please visit scottstreetchurch.ca.